All right, here's the text for today. Mark 1, verses 14 to 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the glue that ties this book of Mark together as we're going to be in it for these months that go. It's, going to, it's a thread that's woven all the way through our entire journey in the book of Mark. Now let's go ahead and break it down, that first part there. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Now there's a, a thing called historical criticism uh, where you've got these critics that in the, uh, the 19th century and even up, up to now, but that's when it was really what really uh, was birthed, uh, that they'll say, okay, you can't trust the Bible because there's too many, there's too many mistakes, um, uh, too many places in which there's contradictions in things or just at the level of, of historical narrative that things just don't match up. This is an example, this part right in here is an example where some of these historical uh, critics will say, all right, this is one of the reasons why you can't trust, trust the Bible because uh, what, it, what it says in here um, that it's jumping right in after, after the temptation of Jesus, jumping right into talking about Jesus ministering into Galilee. Um, and and the, the Synoptic Gospels, you've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they tell of, of, of this. But John has a whole section that talks about the, uh, but him in Judea and him in Jerusalem. And so what the critics will say, uh, and you may have a friend, or you may even be a friend, or you may be one of our friends that may be a critic that you, you've had difficulties with this, say, well, see, that's the reason why I can't trust it, because Mark doesn't mention it. He's saying that the, the ministry took place right after, uh, right after the temptation, that he jumped right into Galilee, and he leaves all this other out. How can we trust that? Guys, listen to me. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that the gospel writers must tell identical narratives. Because you don't do that when you have eyewitnesses. If, if you actually have eyewitnesses that come together and they tell the exact same story, word for word, chances are it's a lie. If you'll talk to an investigator or a detective and something's happened and they come in and it's just, they tell the same thing and there's no delineation there's no extra here or extra here. It's just the same facts. And they, they're keeping it compressed. Something smells with that. That's not how eyewitnesses work. What eyewitnesses do is they say, here is what I saw. They may not say, this is everything that I saw. They say, here is what I saw. They never tell every part of the same story. If you get gather their stories, what they do is they give different parts. They, they give some same parts that are congruent, and they give different parts of the same story that also are going to be congruent and won't go against one another. And that's what we have. And so Mark is the shortest of all these biographies. And so you're going to have things that are not in it. And, and so don't, don't put yourself into that place where you think, okay, I can only trust it if everything's exactly the same. Because that's not the way narratives work. That's not the way eyewitnesses work. And if you've got a friend that tries to say that, just take him to modern-day detective work and, and point, out, point out how that's, that's not the case. And, and re- really, you would not trust it if everything was exactly the same, though that needs to be congruent as it is in Scripture. Um, 
So Mark does not talk about Jesus' time in Judea, which is the region that's south of Palestine, uh, the south part of Palestine. Um, he takes us to Jesus' home region, which is Galilee. Uh, Josephus recorded that Galilee had about 240 cities and villages and about 100,000 fighting men ready to be in fight against the Romans. This is about the, day, about the time that Jesus was born and growing up that that's what, that's what Galilee looked like. It was, it was a region, the region that he grew up in. Nazareth was in this, in this region. Um, the Sea of Galilee obviously was in this region that's more northern, north central uh, of, of Palestine. It's a region that would be like North Alabama for us. Um, and, and I think part of what we need to know about this and, and part of the application that we see in here is that God wants us to bloom where we're planted. God doesn't want us to forget our roots. And he certainly doesn't want us to step over where we are right now, where we live and the people that are around us. So take this either from the perspective of where you live now or your roots, your family, that God wants you to proclaim Him. Not only where you've moved on to, but where you came from, and certainly where you are, where you're living right now. God wants you to bloom where you're planted. Make sure you don't ever step over those God's put right around you to try to get to other people. Because many times what happens there is we lack courage. We lack courage to, to try to live the life out. We lack courage to be vulnerable and to admit when we make mistakes with those that are around us, whereas we could go to strangers another, that don't know us or people around the world somewhere else, and we can pretend that we have it all together, but we won't be vulnerable around the people that are, that are with us. It's vital that, we get, that we're real with folks that are around us. Now note that it said this was after John the Baptist uh, was arrested that he ministered in Galilee. And so this is Jesus' cousin, probably is his best friend. Uh, according to how highly Jesus spoke of John, he certainly he loved his cousin. And he was a ministry partner. They're saying the same things. They're saying, repent of your sins and turn to God, was what John had been saying. Together, they'd been stirring up a country, and now John's been arrested. And then you note two things in there. First, that, that John was arrested and most likely Jesus was down in that time in Judea, that ministry time, and when he was arrested, he came to Galilee. And so he got away from, he got away from the skirmishes that were taking place, but note the other thing. He didn't go into hiding. He did not stop proclaiming the great news. He put himself in harm's way. He continued to press the mission forward. And, and him being imprisoned, Jesus, uh, excuse me, John was imprisoned for proclaiming, repent and believe. And Jesus is saying as well, repent and believe, as we're going to see here in just a few minutes. And um, Earlier this week, some of our men got together on, on Wednesday nights. It was a tremendous gathering that we had together. And one of the things we talked about was what it would mean to be faithful to our generation, as David would have said he as the Bible says that David was. He was faithful to his generation, and then he died, and then his body saw corruption. Basically, he proclaimed, he proclaimed the truth of who God was, he died, and he went on. He went, 
he, he died and, and he wasn't forgotten. Most people, they die and for, they're forgotten. And, and we talked about how that's a calling on our lives as Christians, that we're to be faithful to God by, by proclaiming him to the generation that we live in, prepare the way as John did, and then hand things over to Jesus. All you can do is point someone to Jesus. You can't get them there. You can't do it. You can't cause anybody to tip over. And, and believe me, this is a difficult thing for a preacher and for a pastor because I desperately want to see you guys tip over. I desperately want to see um, aha moments take place in Christians. I, I desperately want to see lost friends become family as they tip over into Christ, but I can't do it. I can't. And I refuse to be one that just starts to wrestle and wrangle with your emotions and, and try to get you t- to a spiritual hot flash that's from me instead of from you. I want, I want to see God work. Well, that's, that's what John, the baptizer, what he did is he prepared the way. He proclaimed, and then ultimately he said, Jesus, you've got you to gotta take it from here. There's a freedom in that, you guys. To be faithful in your generation, to love people uh, in in the city that you're in, in the workplace that you're in, means you point to Jesus, you proclaim who He is, you try to be like Christ, serve them, be the gospel, be great news to them, but ultimately, then you just say, but Jesus, you've got to do it. I can do the external call, you've got to do the internal call. And you trust Him, and you can have peace that way. It said that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The gospel of God. Um, New English uh, translation notes, they, they point out that this phrase, the gospel of God, occurs nowhere else in the gospels, while a lot of times you'll hear about the gospel of the kingdom, or you'll hear in Matthew a lot, or in the other gospels you'll hear the kingdom of God uh, used 50 times, only time is the gospel of God, this phrase is used, and the way that this, the Greek is, is formed in here it could either be translated as this is good news from God or it could be translated as good news about God. And honestly, I believe, I believe the, that, that Mark wrote it that way under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for on purpose so that we know it's not an either or. It's not just about the good news from God and it's not just the good news about God. It's both. This great news is from God, but it's about Him. That God is, as Piper says, that God is the gospel. He is the great news, but He's the one that's bringing it. Believe this. Turn to Him. What is the gospel? The powerful gospel is, it's not about what you must do. It's what about He did. It's, it's about what He accomplished for us. It's not, it's not about what you've screwed up. It's about what Jesus has accomplished. That is why it's great news. The great news is not centered upon you. You don't know how to make a Christian miserable? And why many Christians are miserable? Is they think that it's on their shoulders. They think it's about them. They think they're the reason for the season. They're not. Jesus is the reason. They think that it's, it's up to them to finish what God started because God couldn't complete it and He needs a bunch of helpers. No, He doesn't. He's so great that He's invited us into what He is going to accomplish. He is Christus Victor, Latin meaning He's Christ the Victor. 
It's a done deal what he's going to do. What he, have, what he did on the cross is going to be completed in our lives. It doesn't matter how bad you've screwed up. Jesus didn't. He accomplished it. And so this great news, Jesus proclaimed it, but he also lived it. I, I posted a, a story on Facebook about a week ago. There's a story um, about an outspoken atheist who was helped financially by Christians. It was this guy, I mean, he just caused all kinds of stir in, in the town that he lived in and got to a place where he, was, he and his family were, were hurting financially. And the news got to a church, a Christian church, and these people, they, they started helping him. They helped him financially, and they helped him in, in a lot of different ways. And so this reporter found out about it, and this incredible story and where this atheist was, he's, he's actually saying, I don't, I don't necessarily believe it, but at least these folks are living it out. They mean what they say. They're living it out. And, and there was a friend that posted on, on there. They said, he said, yeah. He said, deeds instead of words. Deeds, not words. You know, and I didn't respond to it, but I'll respond here by saying, no, that's a false dichotomy. It's not deeds, not, it's deeds, not words. It's deeds and words. It's not just about being the gospel. It's about proclaiming the gospel. It's not just about proclaiming the gospel. It's about being the gospel. Jesus modeled this for us, you guys. He proclaimed it all the time. He proclaimed the great news. Because I'm telling you, if, if, you, just, if you just tell people, hey, Jesus is, Jesus is incredible and he loves the world, but we never love the world, people are going to say, I don't believe what you have to say. But if we only love the world, or we only do good things, but we never tell them about Jesus, if we do that, then people are going to think, you can be saved by doing good things. We can't. That's a horrible gospel. So Jesus proclaimed the great news, and he lived the great news. Reject the false dichotomy. He said great news. And then he was great news to broken people. And so are we. Proclaim it, but live it out as well. Now what we're going to see in the next, in the next verse is Jesus is going to give two declarations and he's going to give two commands in here. Declaration number one, he says, verse 15, saying the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. Guys, there was a, a perfect garden. Perfect garden with perfect man and a perfect woman. And they turned away from God. And everything fell. Everything. Creation was perfect. And they fell. The fall came upon us. That brings us, though, to this point in which, which Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled. It's a dividing point within the history of the universe. He's saying, look, redemption is here. Salvation is, has come to town. There's an, there's an old, uh, old song um, by Delirious uh, called Revival Town. And, and just the whole, the whole concept of, of when God moves into town and he does a tremendous thing of bringing, bringing Christians to their knees and they repent and they get fired up for Christ, but there's an awakening that takes place where the lost come to Christ and they find hope and, and they, they, live, they live as a result. Revival comes to town. Redemption 
comes. And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. Look, the time is finally here. It's like we can, we can separate all of eternity that way and all of eternity that way to this big apex. And Jesus is saying, this is it. He was about three years from the very, very apex when he was on the cross, that time of the cross and the resurrection being the very tip of it. But he's saying, it's here. It's here. Finally, it's here. He said, the time is fulfilled. Then he said, declaration number two, the kingdom of God is at hand. That means the kingdom is, is near. The kingdom of God is, is near. And it's, it's near because the king is near. Because where the king is, he brings the kingdom. He brings tastes of the kingdom. And now don't, don't think that this was, that it all landed and it was complete. It was, I mean, this kingdom of God uh, even at that point, and, and even now, was a thing of the, it's, it's something that's it's come and it's coming, but hasn't fully arrived yet. It's this mis- it's mystery. And what God was saying is, look, okay, we're in the middle of this brokenness. It's not done. We're, it's creation and fall. You're in this time of redemption, but we're not at the place of completion yet. And so in the time frame between right here in the story of Jesus coming to this earth, all the way to the point when Jesus comes again. His first coming, the first advent, and his second advent, the second coming, is, is that God's saying, look, the kingdom of God is coming, it's here, but it's not complete yet. And so God's saying, look, there's going to be tastes where you see where redemption comes. There's things where you're going to see where hope explodes onto the scene. And in these days, these ministry days that we're going to see in Mark, and if you look in the rest of the biographies, you see where Jesus says, look, I'm going to do something right now that's going to show you what it's going to be like later on. When there is no cancer, when there's no bleeding issues, when there's no lame, when there's no lostness anymore, when there's no death. I'm going to give you a taste of what it means when the king comes. Because when the king comes, he brings a taste of the kingdom. He brings a piece of the kingdom. Guys, Jesus told us to pray. He said to pray, may your kingdom come. If you take that phrase, as it is in heaven. May your will be done, as it is in heaven. That's kingdom language. That's where we're saying, God, Jesus, when you walked on this earth, that's exactly what happened. The kingdom through the king exploded onto the scene. And you're saying, God, would you do it today? Would you do it today? Just like as we prayed over a friend today and, and probably somebody else in here that you need prayer. And, and, and listen, I mean, in the middle of this, I mean, if, if you just get hit, you need to grab Eric, grab another leader, and you need to pray. I, just, I need prayer, or I need to be saved. I mean, just go for it. In the middle of things, and I know we, we celebrate communion at the end, uh, you know, all of this together, but, if, man, if you get hit, you just got to hit your knees, you need to go take communion. Man, do it. Take some time with the Lord. If you need to pray, man, we need, I need physical healing, or our marriage needs help, or whatever it is. Man, let's get together, let's pray, and let's look at Scripture to see what what he has to say. So the kingdom of God can explode among us. It's risky. It's risky because we first have to say, I need a touch of the kingdom coming. We have to say, all right, I'm, I don't have it together. But then it's also risky because then we have to go, it's all right, God. <laughs> this person's hurting. This person needs wisdom. This person needs freedom from this addiction and this vice. God, you're powerful enough. Will you come? This person needs physical healing. Would you, would you do something? Would you come and show up? And, and we kind of put ourselves out there. 
we're like, okay, God, in our own minds, sometimes we're like, okay, I'm kind of setting you up here, God, you got to show up. I just want you to know God shows up every time. He may not do exactly what we think that he should do when he shows up, but he comes every time. The kingdom of God comes. The kingdom of God is here. We're told, Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then from that, he gets to fill in the blank of all the things that get added to us if we seek first his kingdom. It starts by seeking the king first. Seek him, seek the kingdom. So what, is it, what does it look like? Again, what does it look like in the kingdom? First of all, I mean, the, the king is proclaimed all the time. We can't get away from this, guys. We must proclaim the king of the kingdom when you're in the kingdom. But, but not only that, but but you proclaim great news, but you incarnate great news. The action side of things. When we look around and we say, man, it's obvious that the king, we're not at completion yet. And we see, we see marginalization, we see injustice. Then we just got to listen to the voice of God where God says, now, go there, take justice. Go there, take compassion. Go there, take the great news. Go. We're enabled to live in what Augustine has called the city of God. One of his great books, The City of God, by Augustine. And if we, if we understand what that means, that means we don't shrink back and try to escape from the city of man. And that means where we live, in our city, in our world, and the reality of the human condition, that's the city of man. But for us to, to know that we actually live according to the greater reality, to say, all right, God, we're in, the city of, we're in the city of God more than we're in the city of man. To know that the city of God and the kingdom of God is more real than me touching Matt right now. More real than, than the sound waves that are coming from here and the speakers that are hitting your ears. Jesus and his kingdom are more real than the city of man that we live in, than this human condition that we live in. And I, I, I challenge you to ponder what it means to live under the, the reign and the rule of Jesus above any other rule. And this is, when we do this, when we say, all right, God, help me. Help me to, help me to seek first the kingdom of God. Help me to see through your spectacles of the reality of what's going on in this world rather than just what I see. And when we we start to analyze this and we start to realize, holy mackerel, most of my time, most of my thoughts, most of my affections are attached to the city of man. God starts to change it. And that's the reason why when you start looking through the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, you start seeing these counterintuitive commands that he gives that only make sense according to the kingdom of God, not the city of man. When he starts saying, man, the last shall be first. When he says... To gain your life, you must lose it. When he says, man, if somebody strikes you, turn the other cheek. He tells, us, tells you to be humble and to not seek revenge. When he, see, when he tells you to not placate the rich or the, or the powerful, but actually to, to look for the least of these and the ones who could never pay you back. The ones that maybe some may not even appreciate it when you when you do something good for them. Some may even hate you and your family or, or friends, but when you, 
when you do what real love is in their lives. You say, God, I, I believe you. Because I believe I'm, I'm living more in the city of God than I'm living in the city of man. You press forward. You, you believe the economy of the kingdom of God is radically different from the world we see every day. What would happen if we believed more in the city of God than in the city of man? Uh, please don't anybody mishear me. Don't say that you don't have to follow the law, that you don't have to pay your taxes or, or obey the speeding limits or anything like that. Those are very real, and uh, we're, we're told in Romans that, that, we're, that we're to submit to our authorities. Um, but the greatest authority of all, the greatest reality is, is King Jesus. So here's, here's how maybe if, if you want to take some baby steps in walking in the city of God or living according to the kingdom of God, wake up tomorrow and pray something along the lines of just said, you know what, Jesus, you're God not me. You're king. You want to see me help the helpless, bandage the wounded, care for the marginalized, be a part of seeing imprisoned, freed. Say to this king to say, you desire to minister through me today in my work, my school, my home, my neighborhood. Proclaim this to him. And then just very simply say, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done in my life today. It's very simple. And, and I mean, you can take those words and just, I mean, just in your own way, just say, all right, God, you're God, I'm not, you're king of the kingdom. And you desire, you desire for the kingdom to be established through me today. This imperfect shell, you desire to use me. Do it. May your kingdom come. He moves from... Um, these two declarations, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is near. To command number one, Jesus says what? That's the first thing. Repent. Repent. To some, um, the concept or the word repent seems passe, not relevant, um, or just just plain antagonizes you. It's like, I don't, I don't want to repent. I don't, I don't want to admit that I don't have things together. Um, Spurgeon preached on repentance week after week and, and, and somebody came to him and they said, when are you going to quit preaching about repentance, pastor? And Spurgeon said, when you repent. And, and you know what? Spurgeon could have actually said that to himself. I can say that to myself too. Because it's not a thing It's like, okay, repentance is that one-time deal or, or okay, next month you need to repent once. No, every day we need to repent. We're going to unpack in a minute why and what it is we need to repent. But just to get very simplistic, the term repent means to turn away. To turn away. That you're going in a direction or you're, you're facing something or you're giving attention or affection to something or to someone and you turn away. You turn your back on it. And we're going to see believe actually means to turn toward. Repent. Turn away. Believe, turn toward. Tom uh, Constable said, Repenting involves turning from something. Believing involves embracing something else. A.W. Tozer gives us some insight on how we understand or how we measure ourselves against others and whether we need to repent or not. He said, An outlaw is not a man who's broken 
all the laws of his country. Outlaw has not broken all the laws of his country. He may actually have ignored and flouted and violated only a few. The bandit Jesse James, who did not rob this bank, uh, may, may have broken only a couple of laws. Those that say you shall not kill or you shall not steal. But he was a notorious outlaw with a price on his head, even though there were thousands of other laws in the books which he had not violated. Friend, when I come before God as an outlaw, returning home as the prodigal, returning from the pig pen, I will not be dickering and bargaining with God about the sins I did not commit. I will not even be conscious of those, for the fact that I've broken any of God's laws or committed any sins will be so overwhelming to me that I will go before God as though I were the worst sinner in the whole wide world. What's the point? Many times we justify ourselves. It's like, well, man, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And this guy, look at this scum over here and the things they did. And, man, I never hurt somebody in that kind of way. And Jesus just says, repent. I'm not asking you to repent for all these other things. And you certainly can't repent for other people. But son, daughter, let me show you these areas in your life that you need to turn away from. Repent. Guys, I I want us to have that freedom. We don't have to look around. We don't have to look at our chart. We don't have to pull out our list of all the good things we've done for God to say, okay, I I don't need to repent because I think I've been good enough. I think the scales will tip. That's not what it's about. God is not a killjoy. He does not want us to turn away from true happiness and fulfillment. Rather, He wants us to turn away from deception and limited fulfillment. He wants us to turn away from false saviors, from idols. He wants us to turn away from trusting anything other than Christ for ultimate joy, for ultimate fulfillment, for ultimate acceptance. I believe that it's... In, in some ways, though, that it's, it's like we're living on the Titanic. That we're living on this broken world. It's like a broken ship, like the Titanic. The human condition. We're broken. The world is broken. And we're clinging to worldviews to try to make sense of things. And the ship appears to meet all of our needs. However, there's a tear in the hull, you guys. The, si- the ship is sinking. It's going down. The world cannot bring you true joy and true peace. You must turn from the ship. You must turn away from it and turn to the lifeboat. and Place your life there. There is no future on the Titanic, but there's hope in the lifeboat. The Titanic, full of idols. This world is it's full, it's full of I- idols full of false saviors. All idols are false. They all disappoint. Every single one of them. The things that, that, we, that we turn to. I mean, even, even people can be a false savior for us. If I just had the right boyfriend, the right girlfriend, or if I, if I just... If I just had the right wife or the right husband someday, uh, uh, or as long as I can make this amount of money, if I, if I were only married, or if I was only single again, um, if I had that car, if I could afford those clothes, if we could get into that, that 
clubbed. If people just really respected me, you know? We've got all these things by which we just say, if, if I could only do those things, or the flip of it, of, 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 of they're like reverse idols in some ways that crush us to where we say, if I was only this, if I had not done this, then, pe- then I could be accepted. If I wasn't divorced, if, if, I, if I didn't fail out of school, if I'd, if I'd been able to land that job, then I would be okay. God's saying, no, that's an idol. You cannot go for it. For, you can't go to those things for, for, uh, for your safety and for your fulfillment. And certainly, again, at people, um, Tim Keller in the book Counterfeit God said this, if we are deeply moved by the sight of His love for us, it detaches our heart from other would-be saviors. We stop trying to redeem ourselves through our pursuits and relationships because we're already redeemed. We stop trying to make others into saviors because we have a savior. Do you know that you could do that even in in a Christian marriage? You can make your spouse into a a false savior. If, If he just loved me this way, if she just did this for me, or it can be the thing of like, because we have this, because we've done this thing, because we've accomplished this much, because we have kids and other people don't have kids, we're fertile, they're not, or whatever it is. It's like, we're okay because of these things. We're, know that whenever your mind goes to that, know that it's an idol. Our minds, our hearts, they're idol factories. We just continue to build them. And even when we have victory, we tear one down. We have to be careful because quickly we can just build, build them back up. We're to repent. We're to t- turn away. Turn away from any other way. Turn away from anything else that says that's the best news. And turn to Jesus. To turn to what, what He did. And we believe. Command number two, we believe in the gospel. We turn to it. We believe the news about Jesus. That He was not only a historical figure, but He's the God-man. We believe the news from Jesus. What He said. And honestly, listen to me. This is This is tough for us because it's we can we can say that we believe things we can say we believe Jesus we can say believe that he rose from the dead but our life shows us what we really believe our worries our anxieties the things we get depressed about or the things we get elated about the things you're most excited about or the things you're most devastated about are the things that you worship so what is it? What are the things in your life that you say, as long as I keep this, I'm okay. Or if I could only get that. Or if, if this was taken away, I'd be devastated. That it would, I mean, it would wreck my life. It would be over. Those are counterfeit gods in our lives. We're to turn away. Repent and believe. Today just happens to be Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, Jesus came, came into Jerusalem, and, and, and they, they threw palm branches down, and they bowed before Him. They're like, this is the Messiah. He's going to bring salvation. And guess what? They were right, but they had the wrong concept. They had in their minds how God needed to save them. And guys, that 
is what they needed to turn from. It's what you and I need to turn from because we end up building these things in our lives where we say, God, for you to be a good God, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to protect me from. This is what you better not let happen in my life or this is what better happen in my life for me to know that you're a good God. We need to repent, to turn away from those gods and turn to the great news. Unbelievers think I must be good enough to earn my salvation, whatever, however they define salvation. It's works, or I, or I must be good enough to earn God's approval. And to that, Jesus says, repent, repent of that. You can't be good enough. Believe in the great news. The great news is you can't, but Jesus did. The, the, the good news is you never will, but Jesus already did. It's unbelievable news. But it's not just for unbelievers. You guys who are Christians, we must be the ones that we lead the way in repenting and believing. To where we say, God, I'm sorry, I, I keep going elsewhere for saviors. I turn away. I turn my back against it. I turn my back from it. Repent and believe in the gospel. Turn from turn to. We're to change and we're to trust. You guys, what are, what, is, what are your counterfeit gods? What, what do you trust in to think that you're okay? What are the things that you're like, alright, as long as I blank, I know that I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a real man. I'm a real woman. I'm a, I'm a good person by doing these things. I'll, I'll accept myself as long as you fill in the blank. What are, what are those things? What are the things that keep tripping you up? Where are you filled with anxiety or worry? When are you depressed? When do you lose your temper? When do you just completely lose it? Identify those things. You need to write them down and over it, you need to say, idol number one. Identify. Put it, put it on your mirror. Put it on your refrigerator. Somewhere where you see it, you identify it, you, you confess it. Say, right, God, this has been an idol in my life, and I turn away from it. Some of y'all, you may, your spouse may have become an idol. It's like, you know what, as long as we're okay, as long as things go okay, as long as we're, we're paying the bills, I, I know we're okay. You need to go to your spouse and just say, I have made you a counterfeit God. I've tried to go to you for my peace and for my security. And that's wrong. I shouldn't put that pressure on you. And ask for forgiveness. And ask God to be, to be that, that true Savior for you. It's Palm Sunday. Eric said earlier, mentioned how uh, it was said that the rocks would cry out if folks didn't worship Him. We know that Creation, creation worships, worships God. How? I mean, he mentioned a rock. How in the world can a rock worship God? You know how? By being what it is. By not rebelling and trying to be what it's not. Christians, 
Do you know how you can worship God best? Being who God has made you to be. Don't be deceived and think that you are who you used to be. You're not. You're a new creation. God has given you a new heart. You're a child of God Himself. You're an heir of Him. He has given you Himself. There is nothing greater that can be done for you, be given to you. Be who you are. Worship God. Deny the deception that makes you think that you've got to go anywhere else. Repent. Believe in the gospel. God, uh, I, right now, I know I, I need to repent.